podcast that relies on nostalgia and a geeky sensibility. Each episode, we'll talk about one of the video games that left an impression on us as kids, put on some rose-tinted glasses and reminisce about it, then replay the game and see how it's held up over the years. This episode, we'll be riding a chocobo into the past and talking about Final Fantasy III for the Famicom, kind of. I'm Katie. (laughs) I'm Chris. We've established our dark and brooding past, so let's talk Final Fantasy again! The third time. Second time. Oh, oh, yeah, right. The special third time. <laughs> so it's our episode 20 where we do more Final Fantasy. Yay. We're either going to have to start doing these more often or make sure we do this podcast forever to get through all of them. Why not both? Ah, fair enough. <laughs> But yeah, so it's our kind of special edition episode where we actually don't go back into the past and talk past, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But there's other things to celebrate besides being on our 20th episode. We also have made affiliate on Twitch. Yay! That's kind of exciting. We're technically professionals since we make a tiny bit of money technically from Twitch. Technically. No, but really everyone who's checked us out on Twitch, we really appreciate it. And following us, it's really awesome that we were able to get to affiliate. So check us out over there. Yes. Big shout out to the watchers and, and followers. We have emotes, which are fun. We have special Twitch channel points rewards that the more you watch, you get to have fun facts about planes or, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of fun stuff over at Twitch now. A big shout out to to our friend over at Gaming at the Edge. He has been pitching our podcast to all of his watchers pretty much every time he gets. So he has definitely helped us out. Yep. It's awesome. We really appreciate that. But honestly, anyone who has joined us over on Twitch or any of our social media, really, we really appreciate it. It's a great way to interact with us. We like talking to everyone and interacting with you all. So it's been a lot of fun. We actually also asked people about our current game over on social media to see what people remembered about Final Fantasy 3 because it's a game that we didn't play when we were younger. So kind of wanted to see what other people's opinions were. And they were mixed at best. Yeah, that was that was super interesting. We had some one really great response where basically it sounds like he had only played from three and up possibly maybe the early ones but really three was his least favorite and it's understandable but he wanted more and expects more of a final fantasy game and i think we talked about that a lot in our last episode when we talked about final fantasy one and two is you could see the building blocks of what we now know is a final fantasy game so if you go into these older games expecting to get a modern final fantasy game you'll probably walk away disappointed honestly Yeah, again, I think the big thing is the people we've talked to about this game in general is it is definitely a Final Fantasy game. You start seeing the classic Final Fantasy tropes in this game, but it's not a modern game because it didn't come out in the modern era, and that's okay. But it's a Final Fantasy game. At the end of the day, it has those Final Fantasy tropes, and so we're going to get into one of the tropes. We're going to get into our video game trope of the day. 
Trope of the day! Ba -ba -ba. Every time <laughs> I do it like that, I feel like I sound like Blue from Blue's Clues. Ba -ba -ba. I did not watch Blue's Clues that much. At babysitting. Right. So, Chris, what is our video game trope of the day? Our trope of the day this episode is the hopeless boss fight, or as I like to call it, the supposed to lose fight. This is when you enter a battle that you have zero chance of winning, pretty much always for plot reasons. You see this a lot of times in RPGs. I don't know if I've seen it in, in other places a lot, but it's, it's kind of a framing device that they couch in the flow of the game, which could be incredibly frustrating sometimes when you don't know you're supposed to lose. Yeah, and this is talking about, these aren't cut scenes where you lose right. to the boss. We're talking about where you actually have to use fight mechanics and you are actively participating in a battle that because of plot reasons, you will lose no matter what you do. And as you said, sometimes it's not clear. So sometimes you keep restarting thinking, no, no, I'll win it next time. You keep restarting or as I've done in certain games, you burn through tons of items and special weapons. And then it's like, oh, good. Uh, can I have those back? Yeah. Sometimes they actually will give those back. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. And so sometimes yeah. you're like, no, but I didn't. Oh, <laughs> I wasted half of my good gear on this. <laughs> exactly. Some video game examples. This one popped up actually kind of funny on a stream I was watching the other day. In wrestling games, it's apparently really common in campaign mode that you obviously have have to lose matches, but you don't know that till the very end of the match. Oh, that's funny. Because that makes sense. It makes sense, yeah. For especially yeah. campaign mode, there's story modes you have to lose mm -hmm. at certain points, especially in those kind of wrestling. But the example I saw specifically was WWE 2K19. But in general, it's apparently a very common thing to happen. A lot of those kind <laughs> of campaign fighting games is that you have to die at certain points. Another more traditional fighting game in Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, I had this happen where I lost to Ultron Sigma and got angry and restarted and kept <laughs> losing and kept losing and not understanding why I kept losing because you have to lose is the answer. The very first time you fight him, you must lose. That's funny. We definitely saw this in Final Fantasy III, the game we were just playing towards the end. It's a very big plot point where you run into the final boss early, essentially, and... At least it doesn't jerk you around too much. There's like yeah. maybe one or two rounds and then, and, and this is typically how it goes, right? It'll be maybe one or two rounds and then they'll just hit you with a gigantic attack that is just like a total party kill. Yeah, and, and Final Fantasy III actually did it to us before in a different way because you fight Bahamut really early in the game and you have to run from him. They never say it, but you have to run from him in order to progress. So you don't lose in the traditional losing way, but you can't beat him. So you have to run away, otherwise you can't progress the plot. So there, it actually happened twice in Final Fantasy III. Other RPGs, I know it happens in the Shinigami Tensei Devil Survivor series. It happened a couple of times, and I love that series, and it would get very frustrating. There was one boss in particular, mm -hmm. which I kind of suspected was an unwinnable fight because both his MP and HP were question mark, question mark, question mark. And I was like, nice. that's not a good sign. <laughs> anyway, video games aren't... But kind of our, the main example of this, it does happen every once in a while elsewhere. I think the perfect example of the unwinnable battle is... Come on, Chris. The Kobayashi Maru. There you go. 
This is uh, Star Trek, in case you have been living under a nerd rock for a while. It was a training scenario that was supposed to be unwinnable, and Kirk won it by cheating, essentially. So They also did this exact scenario in the book and, I believe, the movie of Ender's Game where they show all of the kids in the training school a scenario where they will die basically in the scenario and it's kind of a how do they react and i believe ender does something very similar where he basically kamikazes himself kind of acknowledging that if i'm going to die i'm going to take the other enemy out with me are you talking about the ending no i'm talking about the giant test oh i guess that was weird though that was the the mind game yeah, crawling. He he ends up crawling through the giant's eye as a rat, which none of them expected. It was yeah. They were all but shocked I don't that think he did that. That had like, I guess it didn't have an answer. The point was he was willing to sacrifice things to win, and he uses that again at the ending. I guess. But that wasn't an unwinnable battle. This, in theory, the simulation was supposed to be unwinnable. It was supposed to show the kids like perseverance of how do they deal with loss. And instead, Ender didn't. Instead, Ender was a monster and clawed out the giant's eyes. Yeah. No, and which, again, proves at the end when he is a, a monster again at the end and murders lots of people without knowing it. So, hopeless boss fights can be found in a lot of different video game genres. It's really common in RPGs. They are frustrating to no end if you don't know they're about to happen. And they are this episode's video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! So now it's time to talk about the game of the episode. Katie, what can you tell me about Final Fantasy III for the Famicom or DS or Steam in our case? <laughs> so the original version came out on the Famicom in Japan in 1990. It never came out outside of Japan. It was developed by Square specifically Square, we're going to leave it there. We ended up playing a version of the DS remake. We played it on Steam, so it had a couple of other adaptations, but it essentially was a version of the DS remake that was released in 2006 and developed by Square Enix along with Matrix Software. And this is why it's funny because we started playing and I literally looked at the graphics and said, why does this look like a DS game? Like, all of the sprites are very, very DS-looking sprites. Because it was a DS game. They actually because it was. tried to develop it a little bit earlier and release it on another handheld system that it never, that version got canceled. So this was the first version to come out after the original 1990 version. So this was the first official North American release of the game was in 2006. So 16 years later. I guess it had gained traction by then. Again, that's why, you know, they called Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy III, over in the States, which is why everyone always gets confused about that. And when we were playing this game, it's like, yeah, we're playing Final Fantasy III. It's like, no, not that Final Fantasy III. Not that III, the, Final Fantasy the, III. the other one. Yeah. So just a little bit more details on the remake, since that is the version we ended up playing. One of the original designers for Final Fantasy III was actually the lead director of the remake. So they did try to make it as authentic to the original as possible, though they did develop it further. This wasn't just a remaster like the versions of Final Fantasy 1 and 2 that we played on the PlayStation. They This was a total overhaul for the Nintendo DS. So it wasn't just 3D graphics. There was a full motion opening scene video, which is pretty epic and hilarious yeah. when you compare the graphics to the DS, but still full video. And it added plot elements 
to a certain extent. It didn't change the plot. I didn't realize this. Yeah. But it gave the party members names. They were apparently generic, nameless people in the very original version. In this version, they all had names. They all actually had different origins on the island. In the original, they were just four orphans all living with Topapa. Hmm. But in our version, it was only Lunith who lived with Topapa and everyone else had different kind of mini origins along the way, which is really interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. None of this like significantly changed the plot itself. That's so early in the game, it didn't really change the actual plot itself. The other big addition they had is you pick up sub-characters along the way in the original as well. In this version, they helped you out in battle every once in a while if they were with you. So we had a couple of extra helpers join us and they would actually help us out in battle occasionally which was kind of fun it was yeah it made me laugh every time and the first time especially it happened it's like what's happening they're like i'll handle this and then they would just cast you know either an attack or an ability and then hand it off to you yeah so they didn't really handle anything no I, i liked especially i forget which character it was that cast haste which is helpful but it's like i'll handle this here you're faster go fight now it's like what exactly. you didn't, you didn't you do, do all anything. the work now The other big change in the remake was the job system. They actually rebalanced a lot of things in the job system. They added the freelancer class, which replaced the Onion Knight. The Onion Knight was the original starting class. That got moved to a secret class for the DS version. See, that's that's interesting because now it makes sense why the job is worthless up until you get to the top level. Because, I mean, it's still kind of... I could see where it's like, oh yeah, here's this new job. It's, you know, kind of a joke. But when it's the your starting job, I guess that makes complete sense. I feel it, like there are a couple other games where it's it's kind of the uh, super Easter egg overpowered original class, but why would anyone do that? Exactly, exactly. So they basically tweak the job system. There's some more nuances within the jobs, the balances within the jobs that they change. But overall, they basically trying to clean it up from the original version in the remake. And then they got rid of the capacity system. So in that version, you used to have a limited capacity on how many items you could hold, only about 32 items. They got rid of that. The penalty now is instead when you switched classes, there was a penalty on when you would start getting experience basically in the new class. And it affected your stats, too, I'm and pretty sure, right? And it affected your stats, yes, that yeah. is correct. Thank God they got rid of that. Oh, oh God. God. Was, I, as much as we, both of us hate limited inventory, that would have driven me crazy. They have a way of dealing with that, in fairness. They have the fat that is chocobo. True. But still, it, we are very happy we didn't have to deal with that. But yeah. overall, talking, going kind of back to the game in general, mm-hmm. critical response for the original Final Fantasy III, obviously all the reviews were in Japan only because the game came out in Japan only. <laughs> the big one is Famicom Sushuni, now Famitsu, gave the Famicom version a score of 36 out of 40. Basically, pretty good ratings across the board, obviously. It was their third highest rated game in 1990, along with <laughs> Dragon Quest IV and F-Zero. <laughs> so they really liked the original game. And as of March 2003, so before the remake was released, they had actually shipped 1.4 million copies in Japan. So it sold really which is really incredible for one place. The DS version of the game, we do have some scores for. Aggregate scores, game rankings had it at a 78%, Metacritic at a 77 out of 100. I, the biggest criticism I was finding when I was reading the reviews is comparing it to modern day Final Fantasies. It basically said right. it's fun for what it was, but there were limits here and there, and you can see how if you are expecting a traditional Final Fantasy game, you might be disappointed, but a 
quote unquote hardcore RPG player may enjoy the title more. I guess. Like I I could see where they're going with that, but And and the the big thing that is they did say it was probably one of the best RPGs or handheld RPGs because again it was for the DS to date. Mm-hmm. So that was a big advantage of it. It was for the DS. It was basically a very comprehensive game for the DS at the time. So some fun facts about Final Fantasy III. It was one of the largest games for the Famicom in terms of game size and storage and stuff like that. And you could see because there's all of those classes, all of the music, all of the maps and stuff like that. It was a pretty big map. Yeah, especially compared to the two previous ones. Mm Mm-hmm. Two characters in Final Fantasy III, Doga and Unai. You can actually find items named after them in Final Fantasy IX. And if you bring those items to a certain black mage shop, it starts playing music, theme music named Doga and Unai. So it's a callback to this game, which is kind of fun. Yeah, that is that is fun how they like to do that. Mm-hmm. This was the first appearance of Moogles, which was really exciting. I remember writing it down a big note. I was like, sweet Moogles! And it had the fat chocobo, which I about died on stream when that popped up. Because you're like, here, let's make this appear. And it's just like, poof, fat chocobo. It was like, fat chocobo! Oh, my God! So exciting. You're fat. And you actually ran into him relatively later in the campaign than I did. Because I went to the Greshel village, which I think I'm still convinced this is the first time I've seen it as a place as opposed to just the Greshel Greshel Greens however you say that yeah right 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 Um, normally it's just the greens this is a place that you go to and in there they're like oh if you feed this into a forest a chocobo will appear so I found a chocobo (laughs) forest and like fed it and it it appeared and I was like fat chocobo fat chocobo god that that made my evening when I saw that as as it should right So this was this was also the first game to show the hit points that you were doing damage for on the enemies themselves as opposed to kind of just appearing. Yeah, before it was in like a chat box. Now it's just like appearing next to them. Right, the right, red. right. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's something you definitely take for granted in in the newer games. It's I'm sure it was very neat at the time to see that. It was also the first game to have auto-targeting which was incredibly handy, especially late game when you're just trying to grind through stuff. Or if you just don't want to watch the entire summoning thing. I mean, you still watch the whole thing, but if you just hit auto battle, it'll at least speed it up, which was handy. Yes. And yeah, and while the versions of Final Fantasy 1 and 2 we played had some auto-targeting, those were not in the original games. And so this right. is the first right. game that it came out with originally that had auto-targeting. And also the first to contain special battle music for boss battles. Which is such a Final Fantasy thing now that it's kind of funny that this is the first game that that happened. So normally this would be when we play our Chiacarina of Time and go back into the past and get our rose-tinted memories of this game. But we had not played this before, so we just kind of got to play it for the first time. Stop it. Cat is batting my thigh. (laughs) So this was a completely fresh experience and I, I really enjoyed it. So we're doing these for most of the Final Fantasies since we didn't really play any of them. Until that's, seven. Until seven. Well, I know that. We played a little bit of six, but that's a long-winded way to say we're just going to talk about the game now. And it's all fresh and new. So fresh and so clean, clean. No rose-tinted look this time. Just a pure, completely honest look at our very first playthrough of Final Fantasy III. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the plot. There's 
a lot and not a lot when you look at the plot of this game. I was going to say that there was a... The game wasn't short, but the plot really wasn't that complicated or really different from Final Fantasy Final 1. 1, especially, yeah. You start off the game, you are four orphans, or you find out you're all orphans, and you find out that they are all the Warriors of Light, not to be confused with the Light Warriors from Final Fantasy 1. <laughs> Um, and you find this out after an earthquake shakes your whole world and basically opens up these the depths of the earth and you find a crystal that's like, you have to save everyone. Because of course, why wouldn't you find a crystal that says you have to save everyone? Yeah. And that the balance of the world is wrong and you need to bring balance back to the world by finding the four crystals and bringing light back to the world, which, sure, okay. It's a simple enough framing device. It is. You're told you need to find the four crystals of wind, water, fire, and earth by the wind crystal, to be fair. So you really only have to find the water, fire, and earth crystals. And after you find the second crystal, you're basically told, oh, wait, the world you grew up in, even though you've never left your village, the world you grew up in is a floating continent that is just existing in a greater, larger world. And so you actually have to go out and explore the larger, greater world. And it's when you get to there that it's full of darkness when you first get there. And so right. you finally bring light back to the world and you find out they've been in this stasis, this where time stasis, where time had been frozen for thousands of years when you show up, because of course. Mm -hmm. And you find out this happened because a dude named Zande was given the gift of mortality. Fun gift. Yeah, as, as opposed to his two friends, right. one was given the gift of being able to control dreams. And the other was given the gift of magic. Yeah, and it's like, you get to be mortal, so no wonder he's pissed. Yeah, so he was, he was kind of pissed and froze time <laughs> forever. Yeah. Well, he tried to basically figure out how to not be mortal anymore. Um, <laughs> and you screw that up by breaking the time freeze. <laughs> how dare us. So yeah, so basically you go, you bring light back to the world, but there's still a misbalance. You still have to find the other two crystals. Along the way, you do meet the other two of the ancient elders. That's Doga and Unai, who we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. who help you out as well. And they're like, oh, you have to find these fangs so you can fight our buddy Zande to beat him. So you find those, you find the other crystals along the way. There's a lot of, you know, temples that you're going to. Dungeons, of course, because it's a Final right. Fantasy game. So you find all those along the way, and then you get to the final maze, you find the final crystal, you get to the crystal tower where Zande is waiting for you, because of course he has a massive tower to wait for you. I kept calling it the Crystal Palace. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also fair, what kind of villain doesn't have a massive crystal home that he's waiting for the, the good guys to come find him? That is true. Also Superman. I'm, I'll stick with villain. That's fine. <laughs> But you go to the Crystal Tower and you beat him relatively easily, to be fair. Yeah. And he's like, haha, but I have summoned the Cloud of Darkness who, even though I'm dying, is going to grant my wish that everyone dies with me? I guess, yeah. <laughs> so that went real dark real quick. And yeah. then the Cloud of Darkness is basically like, oh no, it's not that I'm a Cloud of Darkness, even though that's my name. It's that I bring the Void and the Void will destroy both the world of darkness and the world of light so everybody's gone and then you go and free a bunch of warriors of darkness who are basically useless to you in the final fight even though you had to free them and they help you none yeah that was that was a weird plot framing thing 
Like they pop out, they're like, I'll help. Yeah, and then do nothing. Literally, yeah. they run into him and then nothing. Or her, <laughs> I should say, because the Cloud of Darkness is weirdly feminine. And then you fight the Cloud of Darkness and defeat Darkness and prevent the Void from taking over the world because hope. Hope is why we did it. And that's that. That's the plot of the game. Yeah, I I really didn't even pay attention to the plot that much. Like, here and there I did. I didn't get super invested. There was little side pieces, like, you have to go into, like, a dwarven village and up a mountain with a dragon that kidnaps you and sticks it in, in their nest. There was lots of random aside-type things. You have to free everyone from slavers in a certain village. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You have to beat a genie because everyone's turned into weird silhouettes. There was a lot of weird, completely unrelated, which happens in these games, right? Like, just kind of side quest. To be fair, I think a lot of that actually probably came from the remake, that they try to give you more reasons to just be going from place to place. I'm curious. I, I'm going to have to go back and That's look true. at the original and see how much of that came. The actual, those elements of the plot came from the remake of them trying to build out more of the world. Yeah, it was it was a generic plot at the end of the day. Your orphan kids, though, other fun fact, this is the first Final Fantasy game where you are noted as children as opposed to as like adults that in the first two game i guess you were older implied whereas this one you're it's implied you're relatively young because at one point mm -hmm. like you meet the prince who becomes king who's like 10 they full-on say he's 10 years old and you're running around with him and one <laughs> of your one of your characters becomes good friends with him so i'm assuming we're right in that same age range of like probably 14 15 that's weird yeah but that's a final fantasy thing because again you look at it later yeah. and there's just a bunch of kids who save the world they're all young that is true. But this is the first game that did it. Again, it's fun playing these original Final Fantasies because these are the building blocks for the later games. These are what created the tropes for Final Fantasy. Right. But let's get into the actual mechanics and the way the game played. Again, we are going to mostly be referring to the DS version slash the Steam version because that's what we played. But a lot of them are similar, at least in generalities. I thought it was interesting with the floating continent turning into the larger map because you get to the point where you're like... I'm not that far into the game, but I've literally run around the entire map. Like, I don't even think cause there's that one random quest that's like, here, if you run around the entire map with a chocobo, I'll give you an item. Yeah, a really basic item. Yeah, it's like, is that it? Like, what is happening? And then later it's like, oh, here's the rest of the world. This makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Why did I not see this coming? Yeah, absolutely. And so that that's a great play into the mechanics of the game. Because in mm -hmm. this game, it was, as we said, one of the biggest games on the NES slash Famicom because of how much it was added. The world, the bigger world was massive. And yeah. So there's airships in every Final Fantasy game. But in this game, there's actually... You use three different airships at various times, and it's notable because they're different. The first one was just super yeah. basic, kind of slow. The second one was super duper fast and could go underwater, which again, showing how expansive the world was, there were certain areas you could only access by going underwater. Which meant they modeled all of the underwater for like the entire area. Exactly. I didn't run around in it, but it was there. So, but it was massive. So there's all the underwater areas, and then there was a third ship that was way slower, but basically was a moving town because you can go in and rest and buy items and stuff, but also yeah. it can jump over small mountains somehow. Yeah, it, you know, it was super powerful and you could get, hop over ridges, which was great <laughs> when you slow. had to do it 10 times in a row just so they could prove a concept. And you just had to go forward and hit X and go forward and hit X. Oh God, that was so obnoxious. <laughs> 
And yeah, the, the, the part where it was slower than the other airship kind of drove me crazy. And you would have to switch back to the other one. If you wanted to go underwater. To go underwater a couple times. Yeah. But that was still neat. It was so much bigger. It needed three different types of airships. It expanded yes. to above water, below water, going over mountains. The world was just massive. You could ride a chocobo. Didn't do a lot for you, but you could if you wanted to. Uh, it, you wouldn't fight things. True. So there's that. You couldn't get into an engagement if you were riding a chocobo. True. But I think the biggest mechanic that comes along with this game that really defined FF3 to be the kind of game it was, was the job class system. I was so happy to see the job system in this game. And so what that is, is there's not necessarily... And you saw this in the other ones where you could, like, change classes. In two, I don't think there was anything. And in one, you had, once you picked it at the very beginning of the game, it was locked in the rest of the game. In one, you had to... Yeah, you had to lock it in in the beginning, and then you were stuck with that forever. In this one, you could switch between jobs. Two was no classes. Right. And right, then, yeah, right. and, and this one, you could switch whenever you wanted in between battles. Yeah, which was super, super interesting. And going back to the limited item space in the original would have driven me crazy because you essentially, if you wanted to switch around, you needed to have equipment for all of those jobs yeah. that you wanted to run with. And to help you, they auto-unequipped everything every time you switch jobs, even if it could have worked, and I would always forget to re-equip and then get my butt kicked in the next battle because I was wearing no equipment. There are some good uh, videos of that happening. <laughs> and yeah, so, it, uh, and whenever you change jobs, it was, it depended on the class, like between like three and I think as much as eight battles where you would have degraded stats and... You wouldn't get any job points for it and stuff like that. So job points would, job points were separate from experience, and job points were earned through doing actions instead of defeating enemies, and those would increase your job stats, like damage and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's the thing. So the job class leveling was very was much more similar to, let's say, to the leveling in two, which, as we talked about, was awful. But the yeah. idea of doing an action in order to level the job, but leveling itself was back to the traditional method of you get experience at the end of a battle and you level. That Thank was goodness nice. for that. That was, <laughs> yeah, going back to a traditional experience was so nice because, yes. yeah, that was just rough in ff2 the other thing with the job classes of course is as you got more job classes as you found more crystals you were given more job classes mm -hmm. and so as you go through the game you're given more and more powerful job classes essentially and that was both good and bad because it really did encourage you to change what job class you're doing it also meant you'd have to start back at job class or level one a lot, right. which could be very frustrating at times. And the other yeah. thing is there are certain points in the game that while you are allowed to pick whatever class you want for any of your people, there are certain points that are like, you really should be this job class, just so you know, you don't have to, but you should. Like when you had to be mini for like ever. That was super early on, yeah. Like that was that was pretty early on in the game where you had to... And th I thought this was interesting, like things like magic, like Minnie and Frog would change how you were in the overworld. So yes. like Minnie would make you small and that was a downside because you would barely do any physical damage or like Frog, you didn't do like anything. And there were points where it's like, it's tiny, so you have to cast Minnie on yourself. Yes. 
and you would essentially have to change to a magic class. And I think, at least in my playthrough, I got a heads up through one of our longtime Twitch followers was like, by the way, just switch straight up all mage right now. Yeah, and you had done that first, so I learned from yeah. you to go to all mages before I got to that point. But it was still really frustrating as well because it's so early in the game when that happened that your MP levels are so low. Tiny, yeah. And this is, again, we're back to the MPU that is certain slots for the level of mm -hmm. magic. So you had a certain amount of, depending on your job class, it would change on how many slots of magic you had for every level of magic, I should say. So you'd have three different spells you can use per level, and then they'd say there's a certain amount of slots. So early in the game, you'd have like 10 slots, and they'd be like, okay, you have only magic basically to win the next 20 battles. And it's like, yeah. cool, I'm just boned. <laughs> The nice thing about that compared to the other ones is you could essentially unlearn magic. So you could take someone who had all white magic and then unlearn all of those and teach them black magic spells. So I saw that and didn't understand at first until producer Kyle actually told me, he's like, no, no, it just goes back into your inventory by unlearning. I was right. like, I don't lose it. And he's like, oh no. And I was like, I thought I would have to just erase it like Pokemon-esque. Oh. And that you would lose it forever. And so I'd have to rebuy it if I ever wanted it again. And I was like, I don't want to change anything for that reason. And so I didn't do it very often until like Endgame when I found this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's way closer to Materia in, in yeah. FF7. Yeah. Which I would have loved to have put that together at the time, but I just realized that. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's kind of like Materia. Oh, makes sense. Oh, Yay. speaking of Materia, this is the first game that had traditional summons available. Yes, that was incredibly exciting, even if I was incredibly frustrated by them. In previous games, you had met with some of those summons. You would meet with, like, Shiva, and you'd meet with Bahamut. Mm. This game, you could summon them. Yeah, Sorry, you, you could buy pretty much all at the same time. Yeah. You bought, like, Shiva... Titan, Chocobo. Yeah. Chocobo, which you could use tons of times, but it was almost completely worthless. Oh, God, even, it... even at the le higher level, it was just yeah. worthless. Well, this was interesting, and this really threw me off. In the original class that you could use summons for the first time, like the Evoker class, each summon would have like one of two or three. Is it just two? Yeah, there was two outcomes of each summon. Sometimes it was, I mean, they were both good, but it's like, it'll do damage or it'll heal or something like that, but it wasn't guaranteed. And I was like, that is really annoying. Like when I cast a spell, I, I want to know what it does. Yeah. And then if it did cast an attack level spell at a evoker, it was normally for a single target. Yeah. As opposed to when you get to the summoner class, it's guaranteed attack. There's no more status effects right. that they used to cast. And they were AoEs almost every single time, which was super nice. Yeah, the summons not being AoE stuff drove me crazy as well. Although I did miss not being able to have a healing summon, because that was kind of nice. I'm just so shocked there was no healing summon Yeah. in late game. I figured at least like Chocobo would be a good one. But... The point is, you get to summon for the first time in a Final yes. Fantasy game. So that was really exciting. Again, and they were those traditional summons that now are, you always see as summons. It was Shiva, mm -hmm. it was Odin, it was Bahamut, it was... The Freet, yeah. Chocobo. Like, these are the summons you see now in modern, in modern Final Fantasy. So it was kind of really... Again, the building blocks of Final Fantasy were there. And that's always fun. Yeah. 
less fun mechanics, the stupid zoom mechanic. Oh, God. Yeah. Fortunately, it wasn't for that much of the game, I feel like. So it, uh, if you wanted to be able to find items in in the maps, especially like not, not in the overworld, but like uh, anytime you went into a town or a dungeon, the way to find hidden items was you had to zoom in and look around. And sometimes there would be secret passages and it'd be like a little sparkle. And that was the only way to see it. You had to hold a button and it would zoom in. And it's just like, why am I going to... I'm just going to hold this down the entire time and just be annoyed because I can't see anything. Yeah. I, I, it was dumb and useless. I don't know if that was just a DS mechanic. I couldn't figure out if there was any sort of mechanic like that in the original game or not, or if this was exclusive to the remake. But in the mm. remake, it was stupid and annoying, and it bothered me. Yeah. Fortunately, again, I felt like it wasn't used that much no, after only, the beginning. I don't think it, yeah, they, it was only used as a requirement like once or twice, and they were always very blatant about like, you should yeah. do this right yeah, now. Yeah, I was going to say wink, a character would tell you wink, to, to do something. Nudge. So at least there's that, but it was still like a really, just like when I, I did the same thing at the very beginning of the game, I was like, oh my God, am I going to have to be in Zoom all the time to see yeah. anything? Luckily, that wasn't the case. It wasn't that often you had to use it, but it did annoy me. The other thing that popped up actually in dungeons a lot, similar to the Zoom, was they had secret pathways in towns and dungeons that you found by just like walking through a blank spot in the wall and you'd wander through blackness. Yeah, that was really interesting. At least most of the time there was kind of a tell that it was going to be there. Like the top would have like a different pattern or something like that. Towards the end, there were times where... It just looked like a weird gap mm-hmm. and be like, you would just have to test. There was things that looked similar that weren't secret passageways. But yeah, you were just walking through. Now, I mean, blackness, but it's not like you were also blacked out. You're just walking over nothing, yeah, essentially. You're walking... you're walking in between maps. It was it was kind of bizarre. And the, the very worst was in the very last dungeon. There is a part that if I had not had the guide open next to me, I don't know how I would have done. Because in order to progress, you had to walk into this black dungeon like blackness so you don't see anything some mm-hmm. point turn down at another point turn left at another point go back up and then turn left the thing is you cannot tell if your character is still walking or if they've stopped and run into a wall because it's all just black and the character animation doesn't change right and so i think i managed to blind hog that <laughs> that's impressive that, because i don't think i would have been able to I don't. I've never heard that phrase before. No. What's the <laughs> what's the phrase I'm thinking of? Even a blind whatever finds something every once in a while. I forget that turn of phrase. Finds an acorn. Apparently, you're right, Chris. A blind hog finds an acorn. Yeah, I was right. Where are I'm you not... from? That that's a phrase you use. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> never used it before. No, I mean, I've heard it before. You're from the Appalachians, apparently. Chris. <laughs> Appalachians say, saying, good lord. <laughs> if this was an episode of Taskmaster, that would be the name of the episode. I was just thinking, is this the episode <laughs> name? <laughs> I I really, really liked the jobs. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of Final Fantasy Tactics, which I've said before is my favorite Final Fantasy game. I wish you could have done the thing of tactics where you could have applied jobs from or applied abilities from other jobs Mm, in in other classes which would have been really cool but 
Though the the special abilities that came with each job class was also really interesting. Like, yeah. a, the thief in this game could actually steal, unlike in Final Fantasy 1, where the thief was useless. Right. And it could unlock doors. And could unlock doors, so the thief was helpful. But, like, the jump mechanic for the Dragoon yeah. was super helpful. And he would disappear yeah. from the, like, it was a two-round attack. Which, while slower, was super nice because then he couldn't get hit for a full round or she, right. to be fair, because anyone could be a dragoon. And that was another thing where they kind of led you, you, you mentioned before, where they kind of signposted that you should be using certain jobs. You're going up to fight this boss and you're just finding dragoon equipment everywhere. Like, nothing but lances and heavy armor for the <laughs> dragoon. It's like, I guess I'll change my entire party to dragoons then. Dragon helm, dragon mail. <laughs> Dragon Lance, and it's like, yeah. and you you go through the Dragoon Tower to prove you're the best Dragoon. I'm like, am I supposed to be a Dragoon right now? And there were other towns like that too, because there was a different town that was like, you really should be a Dark Knight or a Ninja to use Dark Blades, and like that whole dungeon, you would been better as a Dark Knight or Ninja. And that was kind of interesting that they had these areas that really emphasized certain job classes. Yeah. Which I switched over to a Dark Knight. I don't you think did. you did. I did not. I was stubborn and, and just Batman? dealt with them multiplying. <laughs> I'm Batman. Can we also talk about the fact that Phoenix Downs are unable to be bought anywhere? Anywhere. And they don't tell that you was that. so weird. And so I just kind of willy-nilly used him at the beginning. And I was like, why can't yeah. I buy anymore? And then I looked it up online. It was like, you cannot buy them. So you should be saving them. And I was like, oh, no. Oops. Yeah, I mean, that was course, super weird. Then I ended up hoarding them and had like 30 by the end that I hadn't used. But... Yeah. I did the same thing with elixirs. I literally did not use an elixir the entire game because I kept saving them and then never needed them. I saved it to the final dungeon and used them in the final dungeon, but I used like three. Right. I think I used, the only time I used items a ton, I would carry around a bunch of high potions just to kind of save save some MP. And then the shurikens for the ninja. I just used those a ton in the final boss. Because I never used them until then. Because I was like, alright, I'm going to save these. And it's like, alright, I got 20 of them for the final boss. Well, to be fair, that was one of my complaints. Is Some of the strongest job classes that you get, like Devout and Summoner and mm -hmm. Ninja and Black Belt. These are some of the strongest classes pretty much agreed across the board everywhere we're looking online that those are classes that are really good. You don't get until the, like... Very, very, very late game. The, like, half dungeon before the final dungeon. Yeah. And if you were playing this game without any sort of grinding, which is a Final Fantasy game, you're going to grind. But still, let's say you were trying to play through without grinding, you would not be able to use those classes basically at all no. without grinding. And that drives me crazy because while i don't mind grinding it's more of the fact that i wasn't given a natural way to do it you said either you grind grind or you don't use these classes right and with job grinding again you would almost have to go back i think i went back to the floating continent yep every time. just so you could you know spam guard for yeah. like six turns and that was something i noted was when you don't mind grinding and in these kind of games you have to grind the fact that you could not grind your job level and your normal level together. Right. Because it was either you went to a super easy enemy that you can grind your job level for, or mm. you go to high experience enemies that you're only going to grind your level class for. Now, yeah. 
both are added in either scenario like you do get experience the traditional way with the low levels even though it's minimal and you can get job classes in the with the bigger bosses because it just you don't want those turns to be prolonged because they're going to kill you if you keep it too long so it takes a lot longer to do job level grinding it's still driving me crazy that like the ideal places to do both those were in completely different areas yeah so what what jobs did you end up with for your what was your final so my final makeup was Lunith was a black belt, which is a monk, basically evolved monk. Like unarmed. An unarmed, well, he had like the knuckles. Like yeah, the, right. Like the claws or the whatever. Claws. Then I had a devout for Ark, who, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Ark, I kept just misgendering Ark as a girl. <laughs> well, like the devout outfit was like a weird it had cat, cat ears suit yeah it was bizarre uh, arc and then i had <laughs> raphia as my summoner okay and then i had ingus as my dragoon okay i was so i was pretty much almost exactly the same except i had a ninja instead of a black belt yeah but the rest of the party comp was exactly the same i didn't want to have to buy a bunch of shuriken so well, I don't even think they sold them anywhere. Except so. at the very end. You bought them in the very last area in that, like, underground area. You were talking to the merchant, and you could buy them there. That was, like, the only place to buy them. I don't even think I found that guy. Yes, I thought did. I asked in the chat. I was like, did I make this Chris, up? No, you spent all your money there. We watched you do it. This nope, is... I remember that now, too. <laughs> this is why you shouldn't play this game late at night. I'm sure I wrote down a note for it. Well, also, whenever I write down notes and then I'll go back and read them the next day, especially if I'm playing late at night, I'm just like, I have no idea what this note means. (laughs) I wrote down, you know, get candle. I'm riding a hamster. I'm riding a hamster. (laughs) Yeah, I wrote down, you know, get candle. What? Which is, it's, it's a, like a kobold thing. It's a. I don't know if it referenced it or it was something that reminded me of the <laughs> wow joke with that. So I, <laughs> this is what happens when you play a game for 40 hours. So let's get into that. Your yeah. playtime was approximately 35 hours. It, no, it was 39 hours, 42 minutes. Okay. So very close to 40. And I, I ended at level 59 job levels. In that in in that that thing that I you know ninja yeah. about summoner dragon ninety nine eighty nine ninety two and ninety nine. So I finished up around twenty seven hours, and Jesus. my <laughs> my levels were way lower though because I I think uh-huh. I was like fifty two fifty two fifty three maybe somewhere in that mm-hmm. range, and then my job class though. So here's the big difference: were it like forty. 40 like 35 mm-hmm. and then 99 because my dragoon was the older class that wasn't from the newest right. crystal so he actually leveled up high so i did not grind my job levels clearly as much as you did in that final mm-hmm. class producer kyle i know was right around the 30 hour mark i believe he's checking uh, i think he said something like that when after i beat the game so producer kyle was at 30 hours and 20 minutes Level 59s across the board. He was a knight, dragoon, devout, and ninja. So, ooh, yeah. no, no magic user except for uh, the devout. And all of his job levels were 99. The the offensive magic was not great. great. Like the I used a black mage for a while, but it's like you get to a point where your your other characters are doing like 8,000 damage, and your black knight's doing like. 600. You know, the black mage definitely fell off because I eventually, for a long time, my party makeup was 
I kept changing Raphia, who had been my black mage. I made mm -hmm. her a dragoon at one point, and then I yeah. made her a Viking, which was fun. She had like the Viking horns for a while, yeah. and she was doing some. And then a monk in both monk and Viking, she did a lot of physical damage. So mm -hmm. I, yeah, it was just way more than the only reason that the mage was knight was because they could hit more than one target. That was basically right. it. And there was there was an upgraded black mage it was yes. the mages mages but yeah but, yeah but basically every guide i read online was like don't use the mages it's pretty much yeah. useless i thought about going with a sage which is kind of like it's similar ish to the the concept of the red mage which they had in this game which i used briefly we also had a scholar as well which is what it was the upgraded version of the scholar right that's right so you could use white magic black magic and summons but they were all really weak. Yeah. I didn't really play around with some of the other classes. There was like Geomancer. See, I tried to do a lot of different classes just to experience them. I tried the Sage for a bit and it stopped leveling for jobs for whatever reason. Like I went through like the traditional mm. grinding and it wasn't grinding. Yeah. And I was like, I'm done with you, bored. Yeah. But I think it is really, it's funny that we ended up in very similar and like makeup party makeups but i think that is mm -hmm. a really cool thing about games like this is that it gives you the opportunity to play it very very differently based yeah. on whatever job class you have and what you what your play style is and it gives it replayability and the replayability and that's yeah a lot of fun and really nice even if there again were some frustrating elements i think it was really nice because producer kyle was so while we both played this on steam mm -hmm. producer kyle played it on his phone because there is an ios version as well as android versions and so he would that's why i think one of the reasons he was able to grind so much is because he could just be doing other things like we'd be watching a tv show or something and he'd just be grinding yeah. on his phone really easily and that's that's really convenient, really nice, and it seemed that it, it the uh, it translated really well to mobile, um, better than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. The menus were obviously not as clear, and it was easier to do certain things on the full screen. But in general, right. I think he had a really good experience with it. Hmm. It's something that I might consider actually, because I do want to play this game again, and it's like if I could just idly play it. Especially because I want to try out some of these other job classes just for yeah. funsies. Like now, I kind of wish though there was a way I could cross-play in the sense of like, can I just port this game yeah. to my phone so that I could take all the levels I already have in the open world I already have and not have to redo all of that again? It was nice that there was cloud saves through Steam, so I could go from my desktop to my laptop. Except the one time I I nearly had a heart attack because it wasn't updated because I never closed oh, the no. actual the game client because it was it, it did that thing where it had a game launcher mm -hmm. and then it would launch the game in a separate window and if you didn't close the game launcher it wouldn't update the cloud save so i'm like downstairs pulling it up on my laptop and i was like why am i here where are the last three hours of playing oh no and then i had to run i was like oh no i know what happened immediately closed everything and ran upstairs and I was like, okay, good. We're fine. That was the other thing that we got was we had quick saves in our version. So we could save yes. and just walk away from the game even if we were in a dungeon. But hard lesson learned. Quick saves don't work when you die. So that that bit me in the butt. At least the, the first when I realized that for the first time, I was like, oh, I'll be fine. I was like, why am I here? Oh. <laughs> no, continue is not there. It just says load. That, but that was, again, it was very similar to save states, essentially, except it was a little bit more precarious save state because if you died, it didn't work. But overall, I think the translation to the remake was really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It looked pretty good. Music was classic Final Fantasy music. The music was great, yeah. I am forever going to have the battle music 
and the airship music yes are just going to be stuck in my head forever interestingly i forget which song it was but one of the song oh, one of the village songs that you go to in this game they actually adapted and used in Final Fantasy Advent Children for like Cloud Smiles is what the song in Advent Children is. I've heard them next to each other. They're blatantly the same song. Huh. So that's how that's well they like the music. They brought it back. <laughs> but yeah, overall, I think we really enjoyed the game. So I think it's time for our scores. There's no comparison scores in this one. Again, we did not predict scores because we'd never played it. Right. But I want to know what your final score is, Chris. What would you give Final Fantasy three overall? as the remake on Steam, let's say. I'm going to give this an eight and a half. I really enjoyed it. Even if the, I mean, I don't mind grinding. I love grinding. I thought it, it did well enough with the unlimited inventory. I think if there was a limited inventory, that would have dropped it by at least a point. Honestly, it drives me crazy that much, but the change back to this kind of format for Final Fantasy II and... The job system, which I really liked, and I really want to go back and play with the other jobs. I don't really care that the story wasn't that great, because just these early games, I don't even expect it. Yeah. Even if I'm supposed to be comparing it to new games, I still had a fun time just, like, running through and just playing the game. Even if the story I didn't care about, I loved playing this game. What about you? What is your score? I think I have a similar feeling on it. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I really actually enjoyed it. It was a game that I did want to go back and keep playing. I definitely want to go back and probably play a little bit more and see if I can build out more. There are things that you can, quote unquote, 100% in the Steam version mm. for achievements. So that makes me want to do that, of course. And it doesn't seem terrible to go back and do that, in my opinion. Like, it's not like I'm like, right. oh, I don't want to go back and play. I, I really liked it. The class system made it really interesting. I really enjoyed that. I wish the job leveling was a little bit simpler or, you know, just because... I want to be able to do it with my leveling leveling yeah. for grinding. But overall, I really like the game. I had a lot of fun with it. I definitely think people should check it out if they like traditional RPGs. This is a turn-based Absolutely. RPG. It's traditional. Yeah. You're not looking for an extensive plot here. It's really basic, but it was still a lot of fun. You'll probably need a guide at some point because oh, yeah. it doesn't do a great job of signposting where you're supposed to go a couple times. No idea what you were doing sometimes. But the gameplay was very fun. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And again, I said this on the earlier games, but this is another game. You can see the building blocks of the later Final Fantasies. You see, oh, this is Absolutely. how they evolved this. This is how they evolved this. This is These are the tropes that became what we know as Final Fantasy today. And that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons we're playing through these games, to be fair, is to see these in action, essentially, of see these original tropes. And it's a lot of fun. And I really genuinely enjoyed playing this game. Also, it had one of my favorite quotes that I've seen in a game for a while. When you get the second airship, you talk to the engineers. Yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. like, we'll build you an airship because engineers are the greatest minds in the world. And it's like, I'm writing that quote down. <laughs> I think you wrote it down on a napkin. Yep. I did write it down on a napkin. Because that's where I take my notes sometimes late at night. <laughs> so... I think we'd both recommend if you love RPGs, especially traditional old school JRPGs, this is a fun game to play. Check it out. It's on Steam. It's on iOS. It's on Android. You can even mm -hmm. find the original NES versions in English online. There are various places to play them. So check it out. But Chris, what's our next episode going to be? 
Our next episode is going to be Street Fighter for the Sega Genesis. I think it's technically Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition. Yeah, I was going to say, specifically 2 at least. Yes, it is 2. I don't know why I didn't say that part. Yay! Street Fighter back to fighting games that I'm good at! Yay! <laughs> yes, Yay! this this will be quite quite the difference going from Final Fantasy to Street Fighter. I'm excited. Really looking forward to this. We're back to the Sega Genesis. Again, the system we we really did genuinely grow up with. Yeah. Really excited to play this game. As we said, thank you again for everyone who's joined us on all of our social media, especially Twitch now that we hit affiliate. That's really awesome. Please join yeah. us over there. We have a bunch of new games that we're going to be playing on the channel in the next coming weeks because we have, we're ready for the next couple of episodes. So you'll be seeing a variety of games over on Twitch right now. We still have our Coast to Coast co-op games as well. We just started some new games on that avenue as well so we have a lot of fun stuff going on over there we'd love for you to join us over there but join us on any of our social media you can find us at gwgw show and that's twitch instagram facebook twitter you could find the podcast on any of your hosting platforms spotify apple android blueberry all those fun places games we grew up with leave us a review on apple i think that's still the only place you could do that pretty much it would be great to get people's feedback. Let us know what we're doing well, what we aren't doing well. If you have any suggestions for games you want to see us play, social media is a great place to let us know that. Twitch is a great place to see previews, essentially, of what our episodes are going to be. Hang out, have some fun. We typically have a good time. Generally, the whole crew, all four of us, are in there most of the time when we're playing. Yep. So it's, it's a good time. Come hang out. Come hang out. Talk to us, keep us entertained, we'll keep you entertained. It's a good time all around. Big thanks to our producers as well. We definitely couldn't do this without you. Big thanks to the listeners. Obviously, we couldn't do this without you. So join us wherever you want to find us on podcasts, on social media. Thank you so much. Looking forward to our next episode of Street Fighter 2. So say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Bye, everyone. We've established our dark and brooding. Damn it! Ah! <laughs> I was doing so well. Ah! Uh, you even ignored Lisa burping. I know, I gave her up for that. There was like a half beat of non-reaction before moving on. I know. I was like, is she gonna? Ah! Nope, she's got it. Okay. Damn it! Brooding is not a word. No. <laughs> it's in your head. I literally, as I was typing that up, I'm like, I'm not going to say brooding. I'm going to say brooding. <laughs>